the sun, therefore, shall make you free. Ye shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for March 28th, 2011. And we'll just be continuing with uh, the ongoing end time current events for today. We have a, several different topics that we'll be uh, covering today. Uh, really, a little too many to actually me even really list here. Uh, but we're going to be, it's kind of a diverse amount of topics that we're going to be looking at here today. Uh, just to start us off, though, we'll just go ahead and uh, go to Psalm 146. 146 verses 1 through 10, it's the whole psalm. And again, I'm kind of starting off with uh, some verses regarding these subjects because, you know, the things, a lot of the information that we get into on a week to week basis uh, can tend to become overwhelming. And uh, if you start looking at the situation, we always need to get our eyes fixed back on the Lord Jesus Christ, on, on His Word, on the Word of God. And <clears throat> these are some good, kind of uplifting type of uh, of um, verses to, to do that. They're the good things to dwell on and uh, to potentially memorize as well. Uh, starts off by saying, Praise ye the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, will I praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I, while I have any being. Uh, so again, it's very important to um, praise the Lord, no matter what situation that you're in, to worship Him, to praise Him, to give Him the honor that is due Him. And this lifts our own soul when we do this. Uh, Verse 3 says, Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man. And that doesn't mean Jesus Christ in in this Old Testament saying it would be like putting your trust in man. Whereas the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and then maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5 So we don't want to put our trust in princes or in man. And then it goes on to say, In whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to his, his earth, in that very day his thoughts perish. So this is all the end of, of man. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth the sea, and all therein is, which keepeth truth forever. So that's something really important to think about and dwell upon. You know, no matter how big your problem is, the Lord made heaven, earth, the sea, and all that is therein. He made the universe. So all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, according to uh, John, John, uh, John chapter 1. <clears throat> Going further, it says, which, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry, which looseth the prisoners, like setting them free. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down, the Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers, he relieveth the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. That's the end of... of of the wicked people. They may prosper for a season, but in the end, you know, they're on the losing team. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. So, anyway, I just wanted to encourage you with those verses here. And, um, we're not going to do a lot on the, um, this subject today. Uh, we, 
kind of talked about this extensively last week, but this is a video from um, Fox, actually, regarding observations on earthquakes and fish beachings, and just some things to think about rather confirmatory regarding last week's teaching from a uh, from an expert that um, uh, specializes in the subject. Which again does not need an imminent earthquake warning just issued for several regions of the country on edge there, on edge here, because this, it really didn't start with Japan. Take a look at what experts are increasingly calling the so-called ring of fire that is circling the entire Pacific Ocean. Do you remember Chile's massive earthquake about a year ago? Then we had that big one in New Zealand just last month. Then, of course, Japan. And if this clockwise trend continues, my next guest says North America looks to be on tap next. Don't laugh. Geologist Jim Berkland is worried. And we, when he worries, you should worry, too. So this ring of fires like this, where all these tectonic plates come together and creating these huge seismic zones. And it's essentially, it looks like an up, down, upside down kind of like a horseshoe on the map that really starts, if you start from left to right, starts um, on the uh, be the east side of New Zealand going up, then, you know, Japan on, on with Siberia, and then over to, like, Alaska coming down the United States and then going down to the west side of South America. And so that's what that ring of fire is. We'll go further here. Jim accurately predicted, get this, the 1989 so-called World Series earthquake four days before it shook the San Francisco Bay Area. And Jim says this month is of particular concern. Why, Jim? The month of October, March, and April are the three most devastating uh, earthquakes in terms of damage in the San Francisco Bay Area in history. And we're having, on the 19th of this month, not only the full moon, but within an hour, the closest approach of the moon until the year 2016. And the next day is the equinoctial tide. So you're bringing together three of the maximum tide-raising forces. And we know about the ocean tides, but there's also an earth tide, and there's a tide in the groundwater. And all of these help to uh, release sudden built-up strain. And cause earthquakes. All right, but that and would seem to imply that, 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 that we could be looking at a very imminent event in the United States within the next week or two. Is that right? Yes, my what I call a seismic window. This top seismic window of years is developing uh, between the 19th and 26th of this month. And this was a uh, 7.0 monster, and it says uh, geologists was, had warned about it. And a week earlier, the they were talking about the tides, not to worry about the really high tides coming up. Well, I think there's there's worry uh, here, too. All right, so, um, so let me just understand. You're a genius. I'm not, so I just want to follow your fine brain on not this. Not a genius. What you're saying is that there is a certain order to this, even though it doesn't appear like it. For a lot of folks, it just seems like random events. But you're saying that there is a, a process unfolding here. For California, Absolutely. California, Oregon, or whatever, what would that mean? What type of quake or disturbance or disruption would that be? Well, if it was one in the northwest, in the Cascadia Trench, like we had in 1700, that would be a nine-magnitude quake. I'm oh. not predicting that. But I'm saying we've just had a massive fish kill. Uh, maybe a million fish died in Redondo Beach. They had a massive uh, fish sweep in uh, in Mexico. 
We just had a bunch of whales come in close to San Diego. And what is that, that presence? When you have events like that, what does that generally mean? What's going on in the water? It changes changes in the magnetic field that often precede larger earthquakes. Almost at- Now, we talked about this last week. Now, granted, this window he talked about from, I believe, the 19th to the 26th, thank God we've already passed that. But there's a lot of other things that he sa- says in here that um, could potentially happen. And when he talks about the the uh, fluctuations in the magnetic field and, and these fish kills and whales beaching themselves and this type of thing... Uh, we've again, if you go to last week's study, we talked a lot about the fluctuations in, in, the, in the magnetic field and how the poles seem to be shifting and these types of things. And this seems to be confirmatory toward that. Animals have the mineral magnetite in their bodies, including people, but it causes homing pigeons to enable them to get home. Just before big quakes, they often can't get home. There's a delay factor. And... Uh, so we look for those kinds of things. Just before the World Series quake, there was a... So the, he's saying that a lot of these animals, whales and homing pigeons and certain animals, have magnetite, in, which is like a magnetic mineral, essentially. It's where I believe we derive uh, certain types of magnets from. And uh, In fact, when I had done the study on uh, the UN and their prayer room that they've got in New York... They had, you might remember, they had brought in the largest single piece of magnetite in the world. And that was their, it was, I believe, almost, in a, no, the, the room was trapezoidal shaped, which is a satanic um, uh, shape. But the altar itself, which was this big, gigantic, black altar that weighed some astronomical amount. They had to do all kind of bracing on the uh, on the structure, the, the floor structures at the UN to even get it in there because it weighed so much. It was the largest single piece of magnetite in the world. And um, that was their prayer altar in the actual United Prayer Room in New York City. Now, you, you, you used to be able to have access to it. I, I can remember the man that... Um, David Meyer, uh, who's recently passed away, he was last trumpet ministry as the pastor there, great man of God, he, um, he went there and literally laid hands on that thing and said that it, that it was incredibly satanic, the, 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 you know, the feelings he was getting from this, uh, just evil. Um, not to say that magnets are evil, but I'm just saying it, it's kind of funny how you, you, um, you talk about a particular subject and then kind of pops up again later. Animals actually have magnetite in them as well, certain animals, and it allows homing pigeons to, to you know, it, I believe it allows migratory patterns. Most likely has to do with the actual um, pole systems of the Earth. You know how you have a compass, and the compass will point, you know, magnetic north? Well, I believe this is what enables birds and animals regarding migratory systems, how they can find their way back. And prior to cataclysmic events, like earthquakes and these types of things, these systems in some of these animals really gets messed up. And there might be a massive fish kill, there might be whales beaching themselves, there might be things of this nature. So, I just want to kind of throw that in. It's kind of interesting. The unusual beaching of a rare uh, 
beached whales in the ocean beach of San Francisco, and then just after that, a, a equally rare pygmy sperm whale washed up at Santa Cruz within about five miles of the epicenter of the World Series quake. And that kind of beaching had never occurred before nor since. So we're looking for strange fish uh, coming into from deep water to into shallow water, uh, wild animals uh, coming into, uh, into cities. Um, I used to just scoff at these kinds of things because I was a mainstream geologist until I found out that earthquakes were fitting a pattern. The big earthquake in uh, the Indian Ocean followed the mass massive beachings of whales in uh, Taiwan, uh, not Taiwan, but uh, uh, New Zealand and Australia and uh, Tasmania. Uh, and then within a couple of days, they had an 8.3 south of New Zealand and then came the 9.1 in the Indian Ocean with a big tsunami on the very day of the full moon. Wow. Uh, the previous big quake and, and tsunami uh, was in Alaska uh, with the 9.2 magnitude event uh, on the day of the full moon on the 27th All of March. Right. Jim, so bottom line, we have a lot to watch, and believe me, your track record compels us to watch it. Jim, thank you very much. I hope you're wrong. Buddy. I really hope you're wrong, but your record seems to... Well, especially at this time. Right. Uh, the, All right, buddy. The world history is not, not good. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Jim Berklin in San Francisco. He's a pretty good geologist. So, uh, just kind of a very interesting report. He, um, if you believe most of the time, financial advisor should be a right, sorry not about a privilege. That. Join the nearly 7 million who invest with it. Sorry about that. Um, just an interesting, he brought some really interesting thought-provoking points there. And it could be something where, at a future date, the Lord, the Lord might use to trigger something in your thinking process, wherever you may be located. You see some massive fish kill for no apparent reason. Now, remember, I talked a lot about fish kills in the Gulf. I mean, I'm sure that, I know that's still going on, but that's due to the, <laughs> them, you know, the Corexit and the, and, and the oil in the water. That, that's different altogether. That's a chemical cause. This is a, um, you know, this is a totally different animal we're dealing with here with this type of problem when you're dealing with, uh, Gravitational, and then then he talked about about full moons and how that can influence things. I mean, the, the moons influence tidal patterns and have a lot to do with uh, gravitational things going on in the planet. So, just you know, some things to kind of keep in the back of your head. The, you never know when the Holy Spirit might bring something like that into into your remembrance, and it, it might you know be a big deal. It, it might really. Um, uh, for, on an individual basis, it, it might be a blessing to you in, in the days and times to come here. So, let's go further. Uh, this I got this email from a listener uh, named Steve. <clears throat> he says, I tried to order... Now, this is kind of, again, this is confirmatory of last week's study where we had talked about the government and we, we looked at one of their overt uh, offer contracts to buy 14... I believe it totaled about 14 million different MREs, meals ready to eat, in the freeze-dried food market. Well, this listener named Steve said, I tried to order a case of Mountain House freeze-dried food yesterday, and I was told that the federal government bought out their entire warehouse and is buying everything that comes off their production line. The freeze-dried guy told me that they may not be able to ship anything from Mountain House for three to four months. 
I checked with Nitro Pack. These are all different companies. I bought stuff from the freeze dry guy. I checked with Nitro Pack, and they said the same thing. There's no guarantee they will be able to ship for three or four months. Now, you kind of got to wonder what's going on where they're so frantically trying to get all this this food. It, I mean. Kind of at once. Granted, I, I don't. I don't think we've ever quite seen anything like this from the government. Sure, over you know over the years, the government's had ebbs and flows regarding their buying processes. But this is, um, I think, this is unprecedented. What we're dealing with here. So there's no guarantee they'll be able to ship any food for three to four months. Do you think the Fed knows something that we don't know, or are they trying to keep us from storing food? Um, I think they know something we may not know. But again, we looked into that heavily last week with the New Madrid fault system and these types of things. And so, some more things to think about. Next article is Ahmadinejad says the final move has begun. Uh, Ahmadinejad being the uh, president of Iran. And we've talked about him a lot in times past. And... um, he uh, he's really uh, he's really ramping up things. And there was even a guy on Sean Hannity today who has a book, I believe, called something like uh, "The Enemy Next Door." I think it was the book. And he talks about this. I was kind of surprised to hear about this subject on mainstream news on Sean Hannity. Okay, now I'm not advocating Sean Hannity. Okay, but I'm just saying it was it was interesting to. Uh, to hear this gentleman speak regarding this particular subject, uh, which I've covered in depth on many, many teachings and how it would possibly relate to um, this entity that calls himself Lord Maitreya. I call him Devil Maitreya. But he has his own United Nations-sponsored website, has his false prophet as Benjamin Krem, and has said for many, many years that he is this 12th um, imam uh, that is is predicted to come. So just just looking at his website, Share International, share-international.org, when it says, Who is Maitreya? He has been expected for generations by all of the major religions. Christians know him as the Christ and expect his imminent return. The Jews await him as their Messiah. Hindus look for the coming of Krishna. Buddhists expect him as Maitreya Buddha. And Muslims anticipate Imam Mahdi, or the Messiah, or the 12th Imam. Okay, so there are different ways you, you can refer to him. But uh, Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is telling the people of Iran that the 12th Imam, or Imam Mahdi, is managing the revolution that is now underway in Egypt and in various parts of the Islamic world. I mean, it's been pretty amazing as of late. It's like one country goes, like I think it started in Tunisia, one country goes into absolute total chaos, and then it's like that starts to calm down, and then another Middle Eastern country goes into absolute total chaos. And it's like they've been playing tag team chaos or something over there. It's just been going from one state to the other to the other. And a lot of regime changes... And a lot of people stepping down and things happening of this nature. So, uh, this Iranian president is saying that this 
Imam Mahdi, the 12th Imam, is managing this revolution now underway in Egypt and in various parts of the Islamic world, and that, quote, the final move has begun to destroy America, Israel, and the influence of the Western powers in the epicenter. The reality is, is their very own tongues are going to fall upon themselves, as the Bible talks about. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that America is, is in for any kind of picnic, but Israel is not going to be destroyed from a biblical standpoint. Um, physical Israel. And the, now, I understand they're, they're going to, from a, uh, if you look at the uh, book of Zechariah, um, they're in for some very, very tough times. But I'm talking about total annihilation that the Muslims predict in the Quran and the other of their unholy uh, books that they have. It's not going to happen. Okay, so going further, we will soon see a, this is Ahmadinejad again, we will soon see a, see a new Middle East materializing without America and the Zionist regime, and there will be no room for world arrogance or the West in it. Uh, and this, he, told, he was saying this to a crowd that was chanting death to America, death to Israel, and death to Mubarak. They were talking about today on on um, this guy with Sean Hannity, and they were saying that you know they they they're thinking that I don't know was it twelve to fifteen percent of the actual Muslims that exist right now are actually of this radical element. Well, if you think about it, they're the ones that are are most of the time in control of these huge governments, and my first thought was, okay, you can say that all day long about there's only. 12 to 15 percent of this radical element, but they're essentially going to go along with whatever their handlers tell them to, to say, whatever their particular clerics or or uh, religious leaders tell them to do. The Quran is very clear. The infidels are either to be converted or destroyed. They are to be beheaded, they are to be destroyed, they are to be rooted out. And I've given you these verses before. That is what their religion mandates. And Sean Hannity has went so far, he had a guy on the other day, and basically said, well, sir, would you consider myself an infidel? He was really trying to pin this guy in a corner. You know, about, am I in it? Because finally it's coming out now. And again, I don't, I don't mean to like point everybody to Sean Hannity, I'm just saying... When I'm driving, a lot of times it's about the only thing on that that I can listen to. A, a lot, I mean, you've got all the sports channels and the, the music and stuff like this. Well, I was listening to him, and he, he pretty much was able to finally pin this guy who he'd had on the show several times kind of into a corner. And they're, they're finally coming out and admitting, yes, if you are a non-believer in Islam, if you do not follow the Quran, if you're not a Muslim, you are considered an infidel. And in, in the Quran, if they have enough power influence in a particular country, that is a death sentence. Ultimately, as they gain more and more power, that is what will, will start to happen and continue to happen and happen on an increasing basis. Because their, quote, holy book tells them to do so. They're being fundamental to their faith. They're like a fundamentalist Christian who's fundamental to the to the, the word of God and, and the biblical precepts and tenets. 
Well, they're they're just doing the same thing, except they're doing it with the Quran and their other writings. So, uh, the, this radical element that supposedly this tiny minority, the people that are in that are Muslims will quickly, 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 and this has been evidenced wherever they take power, they will quickly fall in line, they will quickly get behind once a power base is established. What they do is they go in there and and at the beginning when they infiltrate a particular country, they act all meek and quiet and like, oh, we wouldn't hurt anybody. We're a religion of peace. And then as they gain a power base, then what ends up happening is is they, they, uh, they start to show their fangs. It's classic. I've went over this many, many times. But this is how they operate. So, this goes on to say, that is in all, we can't forget how Ahmadinejad is ultimately driven by his Islamic end times belief that his chosen role in this era is to precipitate the 12th Imam, or Imam Mahdi's, return by creating conflict in the Middle East, primarily in Israel. So he believes he has this this, uh, divine destiny to create this conflict in the Middle East, and primarily in Israel. They believe that the Imam Mahdi will only return if there is massive, massive bloodshed. Massive killing will only be, would be the only thing, massive killing of, I believe they would, they would say, infidels, and also martyrs on their side, it's the only thing that's going to bring this Imam Mahdi back. I mean, what a savior that you know that is. You know, hey, okay, I'm only going to come back, guys, if you kill massive amounts of people, butcher, slaughter innocent people, and a whole bunch of you die too. Then I'll come back. I mean, yeah, that, that's a god I would want to serve. Well, anyway, that's 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 what they believe. That is exactly what they believe, and he believes he has a prophetic role in this. And, and again, I, if you if you're not familiar with this, um, I've done several teachings on on the Muslims, on um, Islam, on Maitreya, on this particular subject. Um, you can go to contendingfortruth.com and do some keyword searches in the search bar on the right hand side, or there's other websites on the right hand side that also have my teachings as well. If if you're not able to find them there, so. Uh, going further, Agency France Press reported in his fiery style, Ahmadinejad showed his messianic beliefs on Friday, saying the world was witnessing a revolution managed by Imam Mahdi, the 12th Shiite Imam who disappeared as a five-year-old in the 10th century, who Shiites believe would return on Judgment Day. The final move has begun said the Iranian president, we are in the middle of a world revolution managed by this dear 12th Imam, or Imam Mani. A great awakening is unfolding. One can witness the hand of the Imam in managing it. See, they view all this as a good thing. All this chaos and all this unrest and all this you know, turmoil. And it appears, from even the mainstream news, and Obama's doing nothing to hinder this, he's actually helping it, it does appear as though the new governments that are, are tending to be either endorsed or installed, there's a, there's, a, um, there's a high likelihood that they're going to be very, very radical 
jihadist, uh, the, the, these, this, these new regimes that are going to be installed are going to be very, very radical jihadist mentalities. Not to say the other ones were great. Okay? Uh, I mean, man, I can't even hardly stand to look at that Muammar Gaddafi guy. I mean, he, that guy's so full of devils. It, it's, wow. Okay? So, but it seems as though, even mainstream news is admitting this, that now, uh, and, and thanks to a, a large part to Obama, but I understand he's a puppet on a string, but he also is a Muslim. I mean, I, I don't think that hopefully, on all the studies we've done after him, yes, he may be a closet Muslim, but he is a Muslim. He bows to these Muslim uh, Saudi Arabian sheiks. and print, I mean, he doesn't do that with anyone else. It's unheard of. No, no U.S. president's ever done that. He's, but that's the only one. That's the only people he'll bow to, typically. He was raised as a Muslim. He went to Muslim schools. He he's he's admitted this. Well, anyway, that's um, just some interesting stuff there. The Christian Science Monitor provided additional quotes from Ahmadinejad's message. Uh, there's a link you can look at there. Um, Iran's revolution was, quote, the starting point of the rule of God over earth. Uh, Ahmadinejad proclaimed, it's a long path to fight against evildoers. Now, there's that Bible verse, one of them they call evil good and good evil. Now, I'm not saying America's wonderful or, or even the... You know the Zionistic control mechanism over Israel is great. Okay, I understand that we're dealing with a lot of wicked elements and factions, but for this guy to say that he's fighting against evil doers—that's like the ultimate pot calling the kettle black. He goes as it's a long path to fight against evil doers. Everyone must be aware of its satanic deceptions uh, of the United States, Israel, and the West. He said, adding that. The U.S. and Israel would soon be, quote, destroyed with divine assistance as Iran led humankind to the summits of perfection. Yeah. Did you see that video I sent out this week to my email list on that, on all those uh, those men slicing their foreheads open for that thing in Vienna where evidently they must have a huge Muslim presence and they were slicing open their little kids? They do it to babies. Slice open the... I mean, they're just bleeding like stuck pigs all over themselves, running around this... I mean, these people are beyond savages. For the most part. Just look at the fruit. I've done many studies on the fruit of Islam. It doesn't mean I don't want them to be saved. I pray to God if it be possible their souls be saved. But, most likely, most of them are not going to be saved. I mean, the Bible says, broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go thereat. Narrow is the way which leadeth to life eternal, and few there be that find it. So just from a statistical standpoint, that way. And you're, you're dealing with some very, very violent, evil people, at, particularly at that level. I mean, if, if you're that demonically infested where you're doing this, and seeing no problem with it, well, you know, there's serious issues there. So let's go further. Next article is Madness Over Mormonism. The National Association of Evangelicals is getting ready to align with the church. I, I can't even stand to say that. It's the Mormons. They call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. What a lie from the pit of hell that is. 
That church has, that, that cult, that death cult, has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Nothing. They don't acknowledge Jesus Christ for, for who he is at all. During the 2008 presidential campaign of Mitt Romney, a high-ranking Mormon, uh, I believe this is from Cutting Edge, David Bay, I, I heard with disbelieving ears evangelical leader Bob Jones III, the president of the conservative Bob Jones University, publicly endorse Romney. Okay, so going further, even though Romney did not win the nomination, I felt that he would be back in 2012. Indeed, he's running for a Republican nomination. Does that mean that we're going to see a prominent, uh, prominent evangelical Christian leaders publicly supporting Romney? I believe in my heart that this is going to be the case. And we'll see why. We're, go we're going to look at that in depth. Therefore, I was not too surprised to see evangelical leaders on the podium with Mormon Glenn Beck during the Destiny in America rally. Now, we reported on that extensively as well. All the garbage that went on with that. The Bible says to be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what communion hath Christ with Belial and light with darkness? Belial meaning the devil. So, we're not supposed to do that, in other words. So, uh, we're seeing a lot of that, though, lately, particularly with the Mormons here. Since most ev uh, Christian evangelicals know virtually nothing about Mormon doctrines and beliefs, this propaganda campaign might work. The most significant religious propaganda campaign of the modern era is well underway, as this heartbreaking story does reveal. Now, this is another article that um, actually is going to comprise the bulk of this particular topic. And this is from Take a Stand Ministries with Eric Barger. And it's entitled, Evangelicals Courting the Mormons. Watchful Christians won't be shocked by the melding of religious thought that is currently underway. A recent development in the unsettling trend of dumbing down evangelicals will take place this week. You know, I'm sorry, but when I think of the term evangelicals, I just think of like really lukewarm Christians anymore. That's all I can really think of. I mean, yeah, I guess the word, if you would break it down, would mean to be evangelistic, meaning to evangelize, to spread the gospel, but this isn't what they're doing. At best, it's a lukewarm, you know, watered-down gospel. So, anyway, I kind of have a problem with that word, but uh, the National Association of Evangelicals is about to align with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. So we've, we're really seeing... I mean, this is what the Bible predicted, right? Essentially a one-world religion, one-world political system, one-world economic system, one-world uh, currency, one-world religion. Well, all of these pseudo-Christian denominations now are really starting to get on the same page. And I'll tell you, for a, for even for even for an organization like the National Association of Evangelicals to, to really align themselves with an overt, out-and-out -out cult, like Mormonism, that's really over the top. I mean, can you imagine if they would have tried this like 50 years ago? There's no way it would have happened. But see, now people are so apathetic and dumbed down and they don't even care, I guess. Most people, not obviously you all or, or some, but most evidently don't have a problem. So that's right, as if it could have gotten, have gotten any... Uh, 
as if it could not have possibly gotten worse. The NAE, which is this National Association of Evangelicals, which used to stand for actually being evangelical, are about to condone a different Jesus and then claim that Mormons and Christians all worship the same Savior. Because Mormons really do worship a different Jesus. Now, I've done a whole teaching on the Mormons, and what I need to do is post that in here. He's got a teaching as well. But we went into that in depth. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so easy to document this stuff, their belief system. And, um, you know, they just have a lot of extra-biblical stuff that overrides the Bible. Now, they do um, use the King James Bible, but beyond that, they've got the Book of Mormon and then the Pearl of Great Price, which are their three supposed holy books. And, you know, you're going to have all kind of contradictions in the Pearl of Great Price and the Book of Mormon, but guess what takes precedent over the Word of God? It's what always happens. Whenever you have, whenever you get away from the Word of God, or if you start a cult... All these extra-biblical things are supposedly new revelation. Therefore, they trump the Word of God. And this is why I always tell everybody, don't, you know, if a religion or some movement or some supposed move of God is telling you to do something that is unbiblical, don't do it. Do not do it. Obey the Word of God. Don't follow man. Cursed be the man that trusteth it man. So, going further, though they will never admit it in so blatant of terms, their March 2011 meeting in Salt Lake City signals that this is precisely the case. So, I mean, they went right into the heart of Mormon country, this National Association of Evangelicals, and had this meeting. They're having this meeting. I guess it's already been March of this year. On March 10th, 2011, the semi-annual board meeting of the NAE will be held in Park City, and Salt Lake, Utah, a, Fe- a February 22nd press release announcing the meeting, quoted NAE President Lee Anderson as follows. We hope this time of dialogue, now this is from this National Association of, of Evangelicals, the President, he says, quote, we hope this time of dialogue with LDS leaders will deepen our understanding of the Mormon faith. I mean, this is so sickening, I, I can't even believe what I'm reading and contribute to the ongoing work of evangelicals in Utah, said Lee Anderson. For the sake of Christ and his kingdom, what a liar from the pit of hell, we seek to represent biblical evangelicalism to those who wouldn't hear or know. We also look for common ground on issues we can work together. Oh, so they're trying to get them saved, right? And do you think the Mormons... We'll go along with that for one second if they thought they were going to try to proselytize their Mormon. They're, they're not going to do that. Most likely the exact opposite is going to happen. You're going to have people that are maybe have been card-carrying members of the NAE for decades. And they're going to say, wow, well, I guess we all do worship the same Jesus. Maybe I'm going to take a second look at that. Bill Schneblin, when he got... Saved, he was told he was, this guy had done everything in the, in the realm of witchcraft. Druid high priest, first church of Satan, voodoo high priest, Gnostic Catholic priest. He was into lycanthropy, um, actually vampirism. I mean, he did everything. Okay, occultically speaking, just about that you could do. And he was told that if he ever got in trouble. 
from a witchcraft standpoint, like if his powers were ever taken from him and this, what ended up happening to him is he had sent in his, his dues to the first church of Satan, his yearly dues, the good old Anton Sanzador Levey, and the, the canceled check came back and it said, I'll be praying for you in Jesus' name. And he thought that was funny, he chuckled, and he threw the, the check in the drawer, the canceled check in the drawer. And from that point forward, him and both his wife lost all their witchcraft powers. Now, he had a coven of witches at that point. He said he was one of the most powerful warlocks in all of western Michigan. And one little lady, or I don't know if she had people helping her, praying for him, totally took him out at the knees. I think that was his words. Spiritually, from a, from an occultic witchcraft standpoint. He was told, if he ever got in trouble, like if anything like that ever happened to him, the best place, a safe haven, for witches, people in the occult, one of the best places you could possibly ever go is the Mormon church. And he went in there, and they went in on the fast track, because he already had all this occult knowledge. All Mormonism is, is Freemasonry repackaged. The guy that, the, um, uh, the, the man that founded Mormonism was essentially, there, there's a lot of um, conjecture ab- about this, but it was widely believed that he was actually assassinated by the Freemasons because when you when you join the Freemasons, you take all those blood oaths, okay? Like, I'll, they'll tear out my tongue and expose my brain to the sun and flay me and all this other stuff. And there, I mean, you can look up the blood oaths online if you don't believe me. You know, they got 33 of them for the 33 degrees of Freemasonry. And and he, um, uh, he, when you take all those blood oaths, and then you take the secrets of Freemasonry, and you start your own religion, well, when that happens, you know, there was a price to pay. He ended up getting killed in the end uh, be- because of that. So Mormonism was officially founded in 1830 by Joseph Smith, Jr. Smith claimed to have been a personal, to have had a personal visit from God at the age of 15, who introduced him to Christ, right? Jesus then supposedly told him not to join any of the churches because they were all wrong and all the church and all the Christian church doctrines were an abomination. And that was actually that was told to him or recorded in uh, History 19 of the Pearl of Great Price. After Smith's murder in 1844, which was most likely by the Freemasons because he stole all their secrets, Brigham Young took the cult to Utah where there's now a major university named after him. So Bill Schneblin was told, you go into the Mormon church, and, and when he went in there, him and his wife were on, like, fast track, because they already knew all of this occultic knowledge. He was like a 90th degree Freemason or something at that point. There's all these other degrees that are available to people that are really into the occult. And he was on a fast, and he, he, he went up very, 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 very quickly in the church because of all of his occult knowledge. And Taylor asked me, well, why would they want to go into the, the Mormon church if like, you were in trouble? And that? I said, because it's like this safe haven of wh- where they've got this nice candy-coated pseudo-Christian veneer. You know, wow, we're like the Waltons and Little House on the Prairie family or something with Old Yeller in the back seat. You know, this, this one puritanical, we would never do anything wrong type of thing. And they're full of demons and devils and lies. And all that cult is doing is taking people to hell. That's how I view them. When I see these Mormons riding around on their little bikes, acting like, and it's so sanctimonious. It's such a, uh, 
this sanctimonious veneer, this holier-than-thou veneer that they try to put on, and all they are are agents for Satan. They're just doing Satan's bidding. Because it's an absolute false gospel, and their gospel is a gospel based on works. And really, elitism. So, anyway, I've done a whole study on this, and all of their false false beliefs and in all of the blasphemy um you know joseph smith said this is a quote from the documentary history of the church he said god made aaron to be the mouthpiece for the children of israel and he will make me to be god to you in his stead he believed he was a god he was the god of the mormon church he will make me to be God to you in his stead and the elders to be mouth for me. And if you don't like it, you must lump it. <laughs> so, end of quote. That's Documentary of the History of the Church, Volume 6, page 319 to 320. Here's another quote by good old Joseph Smith. I have more to boast of than any, than ever any man had. Now, I'm telling you, this guy was just as humble as they come. You know what I mean? I mean, how humble can you get? I have more to boast of than ever any man had. Yeah, he said that. Then he goes on to say, I am the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. Golf clap, Joseph. Golf clap, man. You are the man. You know, I, it's just unbelievable what this guy, the, the pride, and see, pride, just like it did to Satan, blinds you, deludes you. You start thinking, well, I'm really something. God doesn't have any part of that. God helps the meek and the humble and those that will admit their their state before God. Those that would consider the pit from whence they were dug from. God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Then he goes on to say, a large majority of the whole have stood by me. Whatever that means. Then he says, neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. End of quote. And again, that's from the Documentary History of the Church, Volume 6. This is on page 408 and 409. Now, this is the foundation of the Mormon religion. This devil, Joseph Smith, who was an occultist, who was a Freemason, who was full of devils and demons and deluded and so full of pride that I don't even think blindness is the proper word to describe the guy. And this is the foundation of their church. Because he's the guy that founded it. And the Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? It was corrupt from the beginning. Totally corrupt. Can a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit? Can a corrupt spring bringeth forth good water? No. It can never do that. It would have... It, it, you, and you can't... When something's been corrupted from its inception, from its very foundation, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11, verse 3. You can't do anything. It's corrupt. You can't uncorrupt it. It would have to be destroyed. <laughs> I mean, this guy was, I could go quote after quote after quote. 
And I did that in the teaching. I just wanted to give you a couple zingers for you to, you know, think about. It's just so you understand. This is who, and, and again, it, it's not any better now. It's, I'm sure it's probably more messed up now than it ever was. Because if you have a corrupt tree, and it starts out as a little corrupt tree, it grows bigger and bigger into a bigger corrupt tree. And again, this is the safe haven for occultics, for occultists, witches, warlocks who get in trouble, essentially worldwide. Going further, um, so they're looking for common ground issues to where they can work together. That's that's what the NAE president wants. At first glance, Anderson's, Anderson's statement sounds like he's inferring that by going to Salt Lake City, the intent is to reach Mormons. Before you get too excited, though, consider the following. This impending NAE meeting is philosophically driven by a predilection identical to the 2007 paper produced by Yale University Center for Faith and Culture called, quote, a common word between us and you, Yale University. Yale, yeah, like, the, that, isn't that the universe has the skull and bones? Yeah, and the scroll and key. And a lot of our, uh, very, very high percentage of our uh, American presidents were members of the Skull and Bone Society, which is one of the most high-level, wicked, elitist, occult societies that the world's ever known. They get initiated, lay naked in a coffin, when, and other things that go on there I can't even mention. That's how they get initiated. And that's what good old George Bush and his dad went through, and... Um, <coughs> Who's the guy George Bush ran against? John Kerry. He's another one. I mean, there's a whole laundry list of presidents that were Skull and Bones members. But anyway, uh, anyway, I'm sure anything that comes out of Yale is going to be good. So this was the paper produced by Yale University. Common word between us and you in the subsequent 2008 conference titled Loving God and Neighbor in Word and Deed. Implications for Christians and Muslims. Unbelievable. The premise of a common word was the erroneous notion that Christians and Muslims both worship the same God. And the outcome of a, quote, loving God and neighbor was that evangelicals should extol the joys of Islam for a week each year and that churches should invite Muslim clerics to speak from their pulpit. Not the other way around. It's always one-sided. Muslim clerics, now we know, I've been documenting this over and over, how Muslim clerics, there's churches that are running spaces to the Muslims uh, to have their services. There are churches that are putting the Qurans right side of the Bible now. There are these, um, what are they called? Uh, I, I forget, they're combining the word Islam and Christianity together and, and literally having these dual services now in the churches. I've reported on this much in the last six months. And a lot of it's stemming from garbage like this and these little spineless, weak-willed, spineless, heretic, wolves in sheep's clothing, apostate hirelings that are in the pulpit that would, that would let this into the church. It's just unbelievable. So, 
Evangelicals should extol the joys of Islam. The joys of Islam. Yes, look, I should do a whole teaching on the joys of Islam. I've done a, I've done a lot of that when we talked about Islam and how wonderfully they treat women and how pedophilia is okay and they can, you know you can have these uh, temporary marriages where you can go and rape little girls and little boys for a night and these types of things and we've documented that in in, in all of the hypocrisy and all the lies and, and all the garbage that comes from worshipping this fallen angel known as Allah, who is not the God of the Bible. It's either some high-level demonic entity or fallen angel called Allah. The moon god. And it was well known from antiquity, Allah was the moon god. And I know that the Muslims know this, at the higher levels at least, but they like to say we worship the same God so that we'll let our guards down and all, you know, Kind of get try to get on the same page with them. Meanwhile, they're they're you know plotting you know all the different ways they can kill us because that's what the Quran says to do to kill the infidels, either convert or die. Going further, these are classic examples of foolish Christians or those who would call themselves Christian, predisposed to a dangerous politically correct pluralism and operating from a fictitious assertion that anyone or any religion that mentions a, quote, God must be speaking of the same God of the Bible. Besides, other high-profile Christian leaders of this ill-conceived Yale document include the NAE president, Lee Anderson, who we just talked about, who just made these statements, and Fuller Seminary president, Richard Mao. For a list of signers, and more on the Yale Document Conference. There's a link here you can click on. Concerning the event in Utah this week, I have ample cause to question how much presenting biblical evangelism will actually be accomplished by the NAE's meeting in Utah. These phony evangelical leaders are intent on fishing around for commonalities while appearing to be clueless or willfully ignorant about the foundational abyss that separates Mormonism from true biblical faith. Now, I don't give them that much credit. I do not give them that much credit. The people at the top of these organizations, the NAE, Trinity Broadcasting, uh, people like Benny Hinn, and these, and, and, and again, we've talked about this a lot in times past, but the people at the top, particularly, are either Satanists, Luciferians are high-level occultists. They were put there in their respective 501c3 corporate capacity over their particular flavor of the week denomination. They were put there by their handlers in order to corrupt and infiltrate and destroy whatever vestige of Christianity might have existed in that particular denomination. That's why they're put there. This is all by design. I will not give them that much credit that they're really clueless or willfully ignorant. No, 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 no. I will never give them that much credit. I believe all these people, most of them, the vast majority of them at high levels in televangelism, at big denominations, with have, that have any kind of pseudo-Christian veneer on them at all, they're, they're, they're Luciferians, Satanists, or high-level occultists. They're put there by design, and they're put there to bring about 
the falling away of the church that 2 Thessalonians talks about. Now, God's letting all this happen. The Lord Jesus Christ is letting all this happen, and he predicted it was going to happen, that there was going to be a falling away, and then that wicked one would be revealed. The falling away, or the apostasy of the church, which is where that word is derived from in the Greek. And then that wicked one would be revealed, the Antichrist. We pretty much, I mean, isn't that kind of what we're talking about right now? Can you imagine much more of a falling away than people that would call themselves Christians yoking up with the Mormon death cult? It's all by design. They're doing it on purpose. I don't, I, they know exactly what they're doing at this level. I believe Fritz Springmeyer wrote a book called Wise as Serpents. If you do a keyword search online, I think you can actually get, you, you'll never be able to find any of his earlier books because they've all been destroyed by, um, I believe by the Illuminati. They actually bought them up and destroyed them. But copies of them are available online if you do keyword searches. You can actually go and download PDFs. And I believe he got into this particular subject there in that particular book. Uh, Something that's very important for you to understand what I just said. Because if you don't have a concept of that, you may think, well, he's a good guy. He sounds really sincere. And these types of things. Well, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's what the Bible says. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So, they can appear sincere. The devil can appear sincere. The devil can, tra- can, can manifest, as the Bible says, as an angel of light. And therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers be transformed into ministers of righteousness. They appear to be ministers of righteousness, but they're not. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. Satan has his ministers out there, and they're growing and growing and growing. And their 501c3 corporate capacity of whatever denomination they... Now, I'm not condemning every pastor out there. Okay, I'm just saying... I do believe the vast majority of this group is growing. And it's biblical that it would be growing. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 In the end times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 1 Timothy 4.1 Bible predicted it. And then going back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, God said, for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie, that they might all be damned who received not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God is the one sending the strong, he's permitting this to happen. And the Bible predicted it. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 24 to be not deceived regarding the end times. And then if it were possible, according to Matthew 24, 24, they shall deceive the very elect, if it were possible. So don't ever get to the point where you think, well, I can't be deceived. I'm above that. That's pride. That's why humility is so important. You go before the Lord as Solomon is a, as a little child. As Solomon said, I, I am as but a little child. I, I know not whether to come in or go out. This is before he got prideful. And that prayer pleased God. And it was one of the few times you'll ever hear that in the Bible, that God was pleased with a person's particular actions. I mean, save Jesus Christ. So anyway, um, 
oh, this is just amazingly... <laughs> Even though I know the Bible predicts it all, it's just to see it and to think, wow, it really is in full swing. I mean, this is... This is unbelievable. To be... Um, Going further, to be held before reception at the Utah Governor's Mansion, the March NAE panel will be moderated by Greg Johnson, president of Standing Together. Isn't that a nice-sounding ring? Johnson is best known as the roadshow partner of Robert Millet. I guess they go on Antiques Roadshow and appraise things. No, just kidding. Sorry. Sorry about that. Anyway, Known as the roadshow partner of Robert Millet, LDS manager of outreach and interfaith relations for church public affairs. Wow, what a title. So understand something. The Mormons have specific people like Greg Johnson, president of Standing Together. I think the name speaks for itself. And um, this Robert Millet, who is the LDS, Latter-day Saints, manager of outreach and interfaith relations. For church public affairs. What does that imply? Well that implies they got whole groups of people. In the Mormon church. Just like a lot of other pseudo apostate religions out there do. And they go and they want to have this interfaith relation. I don't want anything to do with any of this garbage. As a Christian. I'm commanded to have no part in this. Other than to rebuke it and expose it. I can't imagine a true born again Bible believing Christian I mean, that, that, that's aware of these subjects, that, that, that is savvy to this, why they would want anything to do with this. I mean, don't these people have any fear of God? Well, I understand the people we're talking about here don't, because they're Luciferians most likely. Closet Satanists, whatever. They know exactly what they're doing at that level. So they're just serving Satan. They're just doing it with this nice pseudo-Christian veneer. Going further... So he is the, okay, that was his first title. His second title is Emeritus Dean of Religious Education at Brigham Young University. Boy, I, I, that study I did on Mormonism, we, we, we talked a lot about Brigham Young as well. What a devil. What a sick, twisted devil. He was just as sick and twisted, if not even more so, than Joseph Smith. Together, Johnson, now an NAE board member. So now, this Johnson guy, who is a... A Mormon of the President of Standing Together is a, now an NAE board member. National Association for Evangelicals. Got a Mormon on the board. And Millet have traveled extensively endorsing the notion that the LDS followers, Latter-day Saints, and Evangelical Christians are just one big happy family who worship the same God Um and who just need to be enlightened concerning each other. Okay, so I think that we can agree as, as born-again Bible-believing Christians that you know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, our source of our salvation, these types of things. Well, what does, what do the, Mormon, what does the Mormon church believe about Jesus Christ? Okay, Mormonism acknowledges the divinity of Christ, but Mormon doctrine on what constitutes divinity falls seriously short of the biblical standard. Mormonism teaches that Jesus, Lucifer, and all the demons, as well as all of mankind, are actually all spirit brothers and sisters. Born Now, the Bible says all things were made by him, Jesus Christ, and without him was not anything made that was made. In John 1. So, 
Jesus is not on the same level as, you know, mankind and demons and, you know, that is, he's far greater, infinitely greater, okay, and, and right there they want to try to lower Jesus Christ to, to this level, which is a very common thing that watered down lukewarm denominations of Christianity and pseudo-Christian cults like Mormonism or the Jehovah Witnesses or the Seventh-day Adventists will try to do. The very, very common theme. They want to get take away the divinity of Jesus Christ, take away his ability to save our souls. Why? Because Satan is behind that particular cult. And he doesn't want you to get saved. He wants to take that opportunity away. He doesn't even want you to, to think on those terms about the true gospel, Bible-believing, born-again Christianity and how we have to get saved. He doesn't even want you to know. So, Mormonism teaches that Jesus, Lucifer, and all the demons, as well as mankind, are actually all spirit brothers and sisters, born in the spirit world as spirit babies to our man-god, heavenly father, and his goddess wives. Mormon leaders have constantly taught that God the Father, who they call Adam God, had sexual relations on earth with Mary, like the Mary of the Bible, the mother of Jesus Christ. Yeah. He had sexual relations on earth with Mary, his own spirit daughter, to produce the physical body of Jesus. Early Mormon apostles also asserted that Christ was a polygamist, Jesus Christ, he had multiple wives, and that his wives included Mary and Martha, the sisters, the sisters of Lazarus, and Mary Magdalene, which is something that, that Holy Blood, Holy Grail teaches. And a lot of this garbage that we've seen on the History Channel and these types of things in recent years, um, Da Vinci Code and these types of things, where, they, where they've taught that Jesus was never crucified and he ended up getting whisked off the cross and ended up marrying Mary Magdalene and had children up in the European wherever area, I believe Scotland. And this is where we get the Merovingian bloodline from, which is a bloodline that's very common in the kings and queens of the European nations, and it's also the 13th family of the Illuminati. So it's a very, very, that would fit right in with all that heretical belief system that I just mentioned there. So that, that, that's what they believe, you know, about Jesus Christ. So going back to this article, this Johnson character, working with the, um, working at a high level with the Mormons, and this Millet character, who we describe, have traveled extensively endorsing the notion that the LDS followers and evangelical Christians are just one big happy family who worship the same God and who just need to be enlightened concerning each other. Well, if you ever thought that, now you know different. Panelists include Craig Bloomberg, professor of the New Testament at Denver Seminary, Craig Hansen, professor of comparative religion at Biola University, Richard Mao, president of Fuller Theological Seminary, and David Neff, editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, each of whom endorsed Millet's book. Now remember, Millet is the roadshow partner of this Greg Johnson, and Millet is the LDS manager of outreach and interfaith relations for church public affairs and emeritus dean of religious education at Brigham Young University. All of these supposed pseudo-Christian devils 
have endorsed Millet's book, which is entitled, A Different Jesus, The Christ of the Latter-day Saints, that's the name of the book, which is built around the idea that Mormons are actually Christians. If you've been watching Glenn Beck, then you've undoubtedly heard the same line of garbage. This is why it's very important, you know, the philosophy, I mean, if you start believing and buying in and following some man, you know, I tell people, don't follow me. Check everything out that I'm saying. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. I'm not saying that, that I'm, you know, obviously anybody's trying to willfully deceive you here, but I'm saying we want to follow the word of God. Okay, we want to get focused in on that, on the Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of people, a lot of people that will call themselves Christians, they get hook, line, and sinker into some talk show host or whatever, and they come off as having some pseudo-Christian veneer, and turns out, all they're doing is leading their followers straight into the pit of hell. And that's all Glenn Beck would be doing if you were a follower of Glenn Beck. I'm not saying there's nothing you couldn't glean from Glenn Beck or Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity's a Catholic. The Salt Lake City agenda will be nothing more than a normalizing of Mormonism by the increasingly less evangelical NAE leadership. If we thought that Richard Mao's November 2004 apology made from the pulpit of the, of the Salt Lake City Mormon temple. Now listen to this. Now Richard Mao, who's that? I just mentioned him. He is the president of Fuller Theological Seminary. Richard Mao made an apology in November of 2004, from the pulpit of the Salt Lake City Mormon Temple, the, the you know their most whatever high level religious building, he lamented that Christians ever referring to Mormonism as a quote cult was a setback for winning Mormons to the real Jesus. And the NAE meeting this week is sure to further cripple the biblical efforts of faithful Christians living in Utah. Now, he's aligned with them. He's endorsing this book. He's endorsing this book, A Different Jesus, The Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Which is basically one big brainwashing tool to get everyone to believe that Mormons are actually Christians. Could the NAE's leadership be so spiritually deluded as to think those Mormon kids who come knocking on your door actually presenting the same Jesus who died on the cross for mankind's sins? See, uh, he's got a link called The Mormon Jesus versus The Real Jesus, which would get into that particular subject that I just talked about in depth. After reading the statement, after that statement from NAE panelists, one cannot escape the sad conclusion that this indeed the situation. I don't see a person named in the panel who might offer a dissenting view. No one experienced in Mormonism who views it as an aberrant cultic religion has been invited to participate. There will be no one like Ed Decker or Jim Spencer there to argue that Mormonism is a cult whose participants desperately need true evangelism. These men are both former Mormon elders and are without question two of the greatest living authorities on Mormonism. I mean, who better to have somebody, I mean, than somebody who was actually involved in the cult, that was actually an elder in that cult. I mean, they would be at a far greater level than I would ever be. You know what I mean? As far as helping somebody sort through all this stuff. I mean, they've been there and done it. I've never been there and done it. 
the NAE leadership obviously doesn't want any real debate. Instead, they have stacked the panel so that unless there is a genuine intervention by God, the conclusion of the panel's work is already decided. I, will, I doubt there will be any genuine intervention by God because, again, God is permitting this strong delusion. Uh, what I did is I hadn't put in my teaching on the Mormonism yet in the PDF. They're going to be about a 14 or 15 page PDF associated with this teaching for March 28, 2011 on contendingfortruth.com. And the PDF, I just added in my teaching on Mormonism. So if you want to know more about that, I've done a whole teaching exposed in that cult. And uh, you'll be able to access it on about page 6 or 7 of this PDF. So, next uh, point here is a, and I just put the links here, uh, we're going to discuss this a little bit more, but it's a sermon on the fourfold superiority of the King James Bible. It's actually a five-hour message um, by uh, Pastor Waite, and I also believe Pastor Kevin D'Angelo, and uh, I give you all the links to the, to the teachings there, just some more information on the King James Bible and uh, its superiority over these New Age Bible versions. The next uh, link is a video that shows proof that the most popular new Bible versions are actually just remakes of the Roman Catholic uh, Jesuit Douay Reims version of 1610. You will also see one of the heads of the NIV translation team lying and deceiving people into thinking that the new NIV is similar to the, quote, original manuscripts which he has never seen, and that the newest NIV is an updated KJV. I will show proof that he's lying. So I'm going to play this clip. It's a really good clip. He covers a lot of different uh, interesting points here that are uh, important because they keep releasing these new Bible versions all the time. Are the new versions are really the new, new? Versions really new? You might think they are, if you believe all of the propaganda. But do we really need an average of one to two new translations every year? Now the Bible says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. So the word of God is actually settled, essentially set in stone in heaven. So whatever Bible you're reading, you want it to match as closely to that word that's settled in heaven as possible. And when you have all these versions that are coming out that are that are derived from corrupt Catholic manuscripts, he's going to talk about the Dewey Reims. I've talked about the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus that Westcott and Hort translated the revised version of 1881 from. And I mean, they contradicted each other in so many places that they finally made a rule that wherever they contradict, we'll just go with the Vaticanus. I mean, these were really, really bad, corrupted Catholic um, manuscripts that have, in large part, also inspired a lot of these New Age Bible versions. And when you have all these Bibles coming out over and over and over, particularly in the English-speaking language, it cannot be the word that's been settled in heaven. It, it, it's, a, it's a perversion of that. So let's continue. Do these new versions really contain more accurate readings, which were not available to the translators of the King James Bible? 
1540, the radical Catholic order known as the Jesuits was formed to destroy the Protestant Reformation. They would release an English Bible translation in 1610. It was known as the Jesuit Dewey Reams Bible. And if you study the Jesuits, I mean, they're one of the most wicked, evil. In fact, they are the most, I believe, wicked, evil faction of the corrupt Catholic pseudo-Christian death cult. They are the quintessential essence in, in, of um, in mitigated evil. One year later, the King James Bible was completed in 1611. The 1610 Dewey Reams translation failed miserably and was never taken seriously by any real student of the Bible. So how do the new versions fit into this? They are promoted as being from newer research that was not available to the translators of the King James Bible. This is a lie, and I will now show you the proof. In Luke 2.33, the King James Bible says, Joseph and his mother. The 1610 Dewey Reims says, his father and mother. This false... Okay, so what does that imply? You may, well, the Dewey Reims, the Catholic one, says his father and mother. Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus Christ. Father God in heaven is his father. Okay, When you call Joseph his father, you start to think, well, I thought that you know, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived and, you know, it was this miraculous thing. Well, when you start to call Joseph, who was Mary's husband, Jesus' father, which he never was, then you start to cast doubt on the divinity of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes Joseph the father of Jesus instead of God. So how do the modern versions translate this verse? Here you can see that the New American Standard Version uses the same word as the 1610 Jesuit Bible. The Recovery Version says Father. The New Revised Standard Version says Father. The English Standard Version says Father. The New International Version says Father. And even the New 2010 Common English Bible says Father. In first so they all make Joseph the father of Jesus Christ, which is pure, total blasphemy. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the King James Bible clearly identifies Jesus as God manifest in the flesh. The wicked 1610 Jesuit Bible removes the name God from this verse. The New Common English Bible follows the 1610 Dewey Reams by omitting God and replacing it with He. The ESV says He and not God. The New Revised Standard Version says He. The NIV says He. The New American Standard Version says He. And the Recovery Version also says He instead of God. The King James Bible warns about oppositions of science falsely so called in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 20. The 1610 Dewey Reams replaces the word science 
with knowledge. The ESV says knowledge. The CEB says knowledge. The NASV says knowledge. The NIV says knowledge. And the recovery version also says knowledge instead of science. So the readers of these new corrupt versions are left with Bibles that contain no warnings about the oppositions of false sciences like evolution and global warming. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the King James Bible gives a command for Christians to study. The Catholic 1610 Dewey Reams version removes the word study from this verse. The New Revised Standard Version also removes the command to study. And again, if you think about it, the last thing Catholic clergy would really want you to do is study your Bible. Even a corrupt Catholic American Standard Version, you know, you go into that and, and there's enough Bible in there for you to get saved, most likely. Um, not to say it's not corrupted, but, you know, I think you get my point there. Uh, they don't want you to study to show yourself approved unto God. They want you to be in the dark and let either the priests or whatever you know uh, people are in there do your thinking for you, so they can spoon fade you. Like in this particular case, corrupt Catholic doctrine. As does the NIV, the Recovery Version, the CEB, the NASB and also the English Standard Version removes the word study. The King James Bible tells Christians to confess their faults one to another in James chapter 5 verse 16. The horribly corrupt Jesuit Bible of 1610 tells people to confess their sins one to another. The process of auricular confession has led to the molestation of untold millions of women and children at the hands of Catholic priests. So what do the modern Bible versions say in James 5.16? The New International Version follows the 1610 Roman Catholic Dewey Reams Version by changing faults to sins. The New American Standard Version also tells its readers to confess their sins to men. The ESV says to confess sins. The CEB says to confess sins. The Recovery Version says to confess sins. And the New Revised Standard Version also advises its readers to confess their sins to one another. So this is how they can justify the confessional booth, which is totally uh, and utterly unbiblical. But the Catholic Church has used it mightily for centuries, um, not only with what they talked about with you know gaining this information that was uh, I think priests could use against people, um, uh, which would allow and open the door for molestation to occur on children and in uh, women and these types of things, but also to gain information to to uh, uh, act as um, like spies for the Catholic Church. Uh, they know all your deepest, darkest, dirty secrets. And um, when you go to this, and these are things that you should you you should be confessing um, before God, not not before some some uh, black robed devil 
with some clerical collar on, who calls himself father, and the Bible says, call no man father, but your father in heaven. That term is not a biblical title at all regarding, you know, somebody like this, these priests. Hopefully by now you have seen enough evidence to convince you that the supposedly new readings found in today's modern translations were in fact available to the translators of the King James Bible in 1611. The translators did not use these corrupt Roman Catholic scriptures. They were smart enough to realize that Joseph was not the father of Jesus in Luke 2.33. They knew that no true Greek text would eliminate the name of God from 1 Timothy 3.16. The King James translators also realized the dangers of science falsely so called in 1 Timothy 6.20. These men had a desire for the common man to be able to read God's word in his own language, and they would never remove God's command to study from 2 Timothy 2.15. The translators in 1611 had seen the corruption of the confessing of sins to sinful priests in the Roman Catholic system. That is why God led them to say false and not sins in James 5.16. These five corrupted Catholic scriptures had been refuted by King James Bible believers for over 100 years. And yet the new versions keep coming out containing these verses, which all can be traced back to the Jesuit Dewey Reims translation. Why won't the new version committees fix these obvious errors? In March of 2011, another new NIV is scheduled to be released. I wondered if this new version would finally update the errors found over 400 years ago in the 1610 Dewey Reims translation. As I expected, the official website for the newest NIV revealed that the errors found in Luke 2.33, 1 Timothy 3.16 and 6.20, 2 Timothy 2.15 and James 5.16 had not been fixed. Please understand also, this is just the absolute tip of the iceberg regarding this particular subject. I mean, there's over 64,000 less words in an NIV as there is opposed to a KJV, which is almost 10% of the total text of that Bible. Not only that, uh, a lot of words have been removed, whole verses have been removed, um, I have this little document called the NIV Bible Quiz in my KJV defense document. And it just it says, look up all these verses in your NIV. <laughs> you go to look them up and they're not there. They're, they're in the King James, but they're not there. They've literally removed the whole verse because these corrupt translators of the NIV, and we're going to discuss one of them soon, uh, in their infinite wisdom decided to remove whole verses. And literally, the verse will go from, like, you know, verse 14 to verse 16, and verse 15 is totally omitted. Not only that, but they've actually changed, as we can see here, he's just giving you of some of the changes of what's been done in an NIV compared to a KJV. And these are just, this is just a very, very infinitesimally, infinitesimally small sampling of that. I wondered why. Later, I was shown the reason. One of the translators named Dr. Paul Suarez is a visiting faculty at a Jesuit seminary in Delhi. Other new versions like the... So the new NIV is um, one of the uh, guy on the translation committee. He's a Jesuit. 
<laughs> so why? I mean, that really shouldn't surprise us, I guess. You know, they don't change their tactics. An English Bible and the New Living Translation also have openly professing Jesuits and Catholics on their translation teams. Hello, I'm Doug Moo, Chair of the Committee on the Bible Translation, the body of scholars who look after the text of the New International Version of the Bible. As a committee, our task is to translate faithfully the words of God as we find them recorded in the original languages into contemporary English. Lies. Please notice how this man uses the term original to deceive his viewers into thinking that the NIV translators have access to the original autographs when they do not. I want to tell you briefly what the NIV stands for. The original autographs are all gone, in other words. Meaning, the real original autographs were used. I mean, they were they were literally used in readings, and then they were um, retranscribed. But the originals have long since gone. I mean, they were on, you know, paper, papyrus, or these types of things, and they were used so much that they were that they were used up essentially. Whereas one of the arguments that that um, with the corrupt Catholic manuscripts is that they're older. Well, the reason that some of these are older, like the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus, is because they were not used. They even the Catholic Church knew they were corrupt, and they put them on the shelf for years, for decades, for centuries, and they were not used, so they were preserved better. But that doesn't—that's no standard of, of if they were truth. That's for sure. And also to introduce you to the forthcoming update of the text. We know what the NIV stands for, and we know that your updated text can be traced back to the 1610 Jesuit Bible. Now listen as he tries to compare the NIV to the King James Bible. In 1611, the King James Version of the Bible sought to solve this problem for the readers of its time. The King James Version tried to recreate the balance of priorities found in the original Greek and Hebrew text. But just like the original documents, the King James Version was unable to escape the effects of time. Here this man smugly states that the King James Bible is no longer any good for today's reader. He doesn't care about the millions of Christians around the world who are blessed on a daily basis out of the pages of their King James Bibles. But I guess we should understand that Dr. Mu is in the business of selling Bibles. He wants to convince you of your need for another new version. And one of the reasons for that also is because every time they come out with a new version, it's a new copyright. Okay, these are all copywritten. You cannot go out and copy one of these perverted Bibles legally. Whereas the King James Bible, other than in England, is not copywritten. And this is why when you go into dollar stores and you buy a Bible, it'll always be a King James. Because the other ones are copywritten and there's a lot more money involved. And the love of money is the root of all evil. So, um, this guy is a real devil. A real silver-tongued devil, this Dr. Moo, his last name's M-O-O, it's like, uh, I don't know, but anyway, um, strange last name, but um, yeah, he's trying to convince everybody that, that this is the case. So this Dr. Moo guy is um, trying to convince us of our need for another new Bible. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. 
You could literally, I mean, there's been hundreds of translations that have come out since, I guess you go all the way back to 1881 with the revised version put out by the two high-level occultists, Westcott and Hort, were essentially, who were essentially, I believe, working for and with the Catholic Church in order to do so. We've got hundreds of translations. God is not the author of confusion. Which one is the word of God? They can't all be equally as valid. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's settled. This is like, you know, every time they come out with a new version, it's changing and changing and changing. And again, they're doing it for the money. The love of money is the root of all evil. They're also, from a satanic standpoint, Satan doesn't care about the money. What Satan cares about is, he knows man will care about the money, but what Satan's really caring about is corrupting you giving you such a corrupt Bible that there's no chance of you even being saved. The more you corrupt the Bible, the more you corrupt the Word of God, the more you corrupt the God of the Word. It's a watered down, it's not the Word of God, it's something different. So, do you think that might affect you spiritually if you're reading one of these perversions? that were derived from corrupt Catholic manuscripts? Do you think there might be spirits that go along with these versions that are actually affecting you from a spiritual standpoint and possibly blinding you to certain biblical truths? I firmly believe that. Now that's something nobody ever talks about, hardly ever. I mean, you think when you bring an NIV home there might be a big fat demon walking through the door with you or attached to that Bible? Is it like a cursed object? I don't know, but I'm not going to take any chances. I know you bring a satanic Bible home, it's sure <laughs> full of devils and demons. It's not going to help, that's for sure. That's a subject that obviously you can't be totally dogmatic about, because we're, we, we don't have spiritual eyes to see into the spirit realm at this point, but I'm not going to take any chances. So in the last century, a number of excellent new English Bible translations emerged, each with its own particular priorities. In the last century, a number of excellent new English Bible translations emerged. What made these new versions excellent? Was it because they reintroduced the ancient Jesuit verse perversions from 1610 into the Protestant churches without an outcry from the pulpits? And if there are so many excellent new versions available today, why do we need another one? Next you will hear this man lie by saying that the NIV mirrors the balance of priorities held by the translators of the King James Version. But since it was first introduced as a complete text in 1978, the new international version has stood as the modern pioneer of a different approach one that mirrors the balance of priorities held by the translators of the King James Version 400 years ago. The King James... So notice how this devil is only keen on the King James Bible. Because he is of his father the devil, and of his lust and of his works he will do. He was a liar from the beginning, right? He's the father of lies, Satan. What Bible version do you think Satan would be concerned about if he could use, if he could speak through a human? 
Well, Satan can be transformed into an angel of light. So marvel if his ministers be transformed into ministers of righteousness. They appear as ministers of righteousness. I just quoted that verse, right? This guy is just a mouthpiece for Satan. Satan is speaking through him. Why is this guy so obsessed? Why does he keep coming back to the King James Bible? Why does it seem that's the only Bible version that he seems to have to subtly attack, subtly try to compare at the same time this new NIV version to as being superior to the King James. Why? When there's hundreds of other versions out there. Because deep down, this devil knows, and Satan knows, the power behind the King James Bible. And that's what they're going to attack. And that's what is, is exactly what he's doing. Those translators had access to the 1610 Dewey Reams verse perversions, and they rejected them. The NIV translators did not reject the corrupt readings. This man is flat out lying to you. The NIV aims to recreate as far as possible the reading experience of the original audience. His goal is to combine in one translation transparency to the original documents and ease of understanding, refusing to prioritize one above the other. Again, he deceives the viewers by using the word original. This man has never seen even one of the original autographs. He has no basis for comparing the NIV to the original documents or to the reading experience of the original audience. And again, to, to further clarify what he just mentioned there, we have his version of the original um, documents. Okay, so I'm just going to do a little tiny mini study on this because it's, it's kind of important. If you're, if you're unfamiliar with this subject when they talk about originals, there's two streams of Bibles that have came um, since New Testament time. We have, essentially, the Antioch stream, and we have the Alexandrian stream, Alexandria, Egypt. And in the Bible, we're always warned about going to Egypt. I mean, they even warned, the kings weren't even to go to Egypt to get horses. Well, if the kings weren't even supposed to go there to get horses, we're sure not to go there to get our Bible. But this is where, ultimately, these corrupt Catholic manuscripts spawned from. The Alexandrian uh, Egyptian line of Bibles. This is where the Catholics get their, their Bibles. And you have people like Clement and Origen and Eusebius and these types of things um, that had a lot to do with the creation of these corrupt lines. And then we have the Vaticanus and the Sinaiticus and the Dewey Reims, which, which is what they've mentioned. That is the line, and then Westcott and Hort finally, trans, finally translating the revised version of 1881. Westcott and Hort being two high-level occultists that I mentioned earlier. They had a club that they went to called the Ghostly Guild, where they did seances with, um, ah, was it Charles Darwin? was one of the people. I mean, they hung out with high-level occultists. And the Hermes Club. They had another club that they... These guys were, were evil devils. You look at their own writings and their own quotes, none of them were believers. That is the line that this man is referring to when he refers to the originals. Whereas the true line 
the Antiochian line, Antioch, where we were, where the Bible says in Acts where they were first called Christians. It's where, the, it's where we get the term Christians first mentioned in Antioch, which is where we have the apostles, and then their their um, uh, that particular line, their traditional text line, which you can go from Syrian to the old Latin and Syriac originals, the papyri, MMS. These are all different uh, things that went into this line, the different um, uh, translations. Then finally we get to the Geneva Bible of 1560, the Bishop's Bible of 1568, the Beza's Greek New Testament in 1598. And these are generally referred to as the Byzantine text or the majority text, which ultimately formed and um, which was ultimately the culmination of that was the King James Bible of 1611. Okay, so this is when we talk about originals, their originals they're referring to, I want you to understand that. That is a totally corrupt Catholic line that started in Egypt through total heretics and apostates. And then you have the other line, the Byzantine, the majority text, which ultimately uh, brought about the King James Bible of 1611. So I, I just thought that was important to kind of... For, for you to understand that, because it, it is a very important point. Let's go back to this video now. Built upon this philosophy, the new international version has experienced much the same reaction of the church and beyond as its beloved predecessor, the King James Version. As I have clearly demonstrated... And one thing I don't think I mentioned, that revised version of 1881 is what has spawned, is the birth parent of all of these other false, corrupt Bible versions that continue to churn out on a yearly basis, and have so since 1881. This is their great-grandparent. This is what spawned them, okay? The revised version of 1881, which was translated from corrupt Egyptian to corrupt Catholic manuscripts. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Stated in this video... The King James Bible is not the beloved predecessor of the NIV. The Roman Catholic Jesuit 1610 Dewey Reams Version is the predecessor of the NIV. I wish you could attend a committee session to see just how careful we are as we try to figure out how to communicate God's unchanging word to English speakers around the world. This lying hypocrite says he wants to communicate God's unchanging word to English speakers around the world, and yet he is promoting a wicked new version which has been changed to please the politically correct feminist speech of the lost world. That, 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 that last quote is just... The Bible says, be angry and sin not. <laughs> I can't even believe this devil hypocrite would have the audacity to say it's God's unchanging word. It is God's unchanging word. Forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. True, true. But yet these other verses, and that King James Bible, you know, is one thing. that We have one stream there. We have one Bible. But yet they've got all these other hundreds and hundreds of versions that have spawned from these corrupt Catholic manuscripts that ultimately were spawned from Alexandria, Egypt that have changed, and, and um, they have to change the words. 
in order to get a new copyright. See, in order for them to secure another copyright, there has to be a certain percentage of the words changed. I don't know if it's like 5% of the text or whatever it is. But they've got to do that in order to get that new copyright so they can make more money. And they've been doing it ever since 1881. And he talks about God's unchanging words? Just absolutely incomprehensible. This video was made as a plea to Bible-believing Christians around the world. God blessed His church and used us for His glory when we were all united under one holy Bible. In this year of 2011, let us celebrate the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible. The new versions have been claiming to fix the King James Bible for over 100 years now, and yet they still cannot claim perfection. It is time for Bible believers all over the world to unite under the authority of one Bible and to loudly denounce all of the corrupt new Vatican versions. And again, look at the fruit in the last hundred plus years. Let's look at the root fruit since 1881, which coincidentally is when we had a lot of these pseudo-Christian cults kind of starting to pop up. Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism, Seventh-day Adventists, a lot of, a lot of, look at all the garbage that has happened to the church in the last, let's just say since 1881. I mean, it really does really fall in line with Revelation 3 where it talks about the Laodicean church here that they think they're in need of nothing, yet in God's eyes they're blind, naked, weak, wretched before God's eyes, they're, but they're neither hot nor cold, they're lukewarm, and God's going to spew them out of, their mouth, out of his mouth. You know, it really does kind of line up with that, with that whole... And you look at what's happened to the church. Just look at the stuff we've talked about today. Is the church holier than it was prior to the introduction of these new versions, or is it much more unholy? I'm not talking about true churches. There's hard, it's hard to find a church nowadays that hasn't been corrupted in some way, shape, or form. Whether, they're, whether they have a 501c3 corporate status and they've yoked themselves up with the government, which there's no Bible for that whatsoever. You know, you can't serve two masters. If, if, if the 501c3 corporate government created your church, then that is your master. That is who you answer to. They can take that away or they can grant you that. And you have to play by their rules, ultimately. I've done tons of studies on that. Churches that use false Bible versions, you know, how is that affecting that church on a spiritual level? What happens to a church when they incorporate and they have the 501c3 status and... and they're given the right to exist by, the, by this wicked government. Do you think that there might be demons and devils and evil entities that enter into a church when that happens and start affecting the thinking process of the pastors and or the congregants and all the people that go there? I do. I, I, see, I've been there. I've done it. You know? And, and I, I look at myself, a lot of this stuff I did know, and yet I was still in like a 501c3 setting, and it was like I got blinded to it. Or apathetic to what I already knew. I finally came out. You know. And I understand the Bible says, you know, forsake not yourself, the assembling yourself with the brethren, and these types of things. And and yes, I understand that, but we're not supposed to congregate in air. We're, we're not I mean, if 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 that church is an heir and if they're doing 
uh, unbiblical things, it's not an excuse to go there. That verse doesn't override, you know, um, the fact that we are not supposed to be united in air. And these these churches, I mean, you look at the fruit. Just look since 1881. I just I go back to that date when that revised version came back came out. And I look at the fruit of it, and I think, I wonder how much that had to do with pastors then in the 1940s and 50s and these types of things, taking that, taking that carrot that the IRS put out in front of them, saying, hey, you know, listen, take this corporate, corporate uh, status, this 501c3 status, and um, your congregants will be able to write this off on their taxes, their, their tithes. And the Bible says, when you give, let not your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You know, and when you give to be seen among men, verily you have your reward. I'm not saying that's the reason that all people go in there and give. Obviously, it's not. But the thing is, is is the this this carrot that was put before the pastors, and then the churches started getting subsidies. But then they had to abide by these guidelines, and the the pastor was literally made the CEO of the corporation of the church, this 501c3 not for profit tax exempt entity corporate entity, and the board of the, of the directors were the deacons, are the deacons in these types of churches. How much has that affected the church spiritually? How much has it affected the church when they bring in these false perversions and the pastor's reading from an NIV and then one person's got an American standard and one person has a whatever? You know, you could literally, most congregations, everybody could literally have a different Bible. There's so many versions now. I mean, the average congregation will say, couple hundred people. They could all literally have a different one. There's that many that have come out. All for the sake of greed. The love of money. But Satan has another agenda. To water down the word of God. The Bible says, what is truth? Thy word is truth. What if you don't have, what if you have a corrupted word? Well, then you've got a corrupted truth. So, some people might trivialize these things. I think you go back to 1881, and that's when a lot of this garbage, infiltration of the church started. This blindness that started happening to the church. And maybe that's why in Revelation 3 it says, counsel of thee to buy the eyesight that thou may see. In white raiment. You know, it's like they can't see these these types of things anymore. And then, what did that allow? Well, I think you have the corporate 501c3, and then you have, the, before that, you have the false Bible versions, and then now you have all the other garbage that's going on in the church today. Like today, we've, we've got the National Association of Evangelicals yoking up with Mormonism. I mean, this is just, it's so insane. You've got the emerging church. You've got all of like the, the rock music and, and the, the, um, all the, bringing all of this world into the church to appease people, to, to, to be seeker friendly. You've got these sermons now that they're doing on sex in these shock sermons. I read stories that, that people send me and a lot of times they're so shocking and they're so over the top. I don't even report on it. I mean, there's a lot I don't even report on because I don't even want to, you know, it's like you don't even want to talk about it, but there, there's stuff going on in the church that is just absolutely incomprehensible. That they're doing. And it's like there's no fear of God at all. Well, they've it has a lot to do with the Bible versions, I believe. So anyway, I, I just wanted to kind of go into that subject. I think it's a very important subject. I have done whole teachings on the King James Bible uh, that you can access 
on contendmefortruth.com, and in the right-hand column, there's other websites that have those as well. You can do keyword searches and things of that nature. I'm way overdue on part one, so I'm going to stop uh, part one here. We'll go to part two, and we're going to continue uh, looking particularly at the NIV next. God bless you. If you would like to sign up for Scott Johnson's free Christian current events and health newsletters, please email him at drjohnson at ix.netcom.com. That's d-r-j-o-h-n-s-o-n at the letter i, the letter x, dot n-e-t-c-o-m dot com with the word subscribe in the subject line. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line, 450 Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Boulevard West, number 202, 3rd Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.